0: The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Maria Gallagher, the Legislative Director for the Federation. My colleague, Bonnie Finnerty, is on vacation this week. We are so excited to welcome Father Frank Pavone of priest for Life to the program. But we begin with our weekly inspirational segment. This week's inspiration comes from the Society for the Protection of Unborn Children, a pro-life organization in the United Kingdom. Their article on behaviors of babies while in the womb was picked up by National Right to Life News. One segment of the article focuses on pre-born babies' response to music, and it is truly fascinating. In 2015, the Institute Marquez in Barcelona did pioneering research into the ability of unborn babies to listen and respond to music. They found that when it was transmitted internally, babies responded to music from 16 weeks gestation. Of course, the next thing the researchers wanted to know was what music unborn babies preferred to hear. In June, the Institute published a new study where they studied mouth and tongue movements of 300 unborn babies between 18 and 38 weeks of gestation, exposed to 15 different songs of three different musical genres, classical, traditional, and pop rock. For context, the mouth and tongue movements studied are only spontaneously produced from 3 to 5% of babies in the second and third trimesters. The music genre causing the highest percentage of babies moving their mouths was classical music, 84%, followed by traditional music, 79%. And finally, pop rock music, 59%. Once the babies are able to stick out their tongues, classical music is again their favorite musical genre with 35%, followed by traditional music, 20%, and pop rock, 15%. However, there were some interesting variations. While pop rock generally stimulated babies the least, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, and YMCA by the Village People, both got a mouth movement score of 90%. Adele's Someone Like You and Shakira's Waka Waka were both much less popular with 60% and 50%. So from 16 weeks gestation, babies can hear music, respond to and learn from it, and even prefer Mozart to Adele. The unborn are amazing. Now let's turn to our legislative segment. The following update is from an article by Dave Andrusko of National Right to Life News Today. On October 22nd, 2020, Poland's constitutional court ruled that allowing abortions for so-called fetal defects violated the constitutionally protected right to life. The results? A staggering decrease of 90% in the number of abortions. According to a report by a Polish newspaper, data from the Ministry of Health shows that the number of legal abortions in the country decreased from 1,076 in 2020 to 107 in 2021, following changes to the country's abortion law, the Catholic News Agency reported. If it had not been for the change in the law, about 1,000 children would have lost their lives in their mother's wombs in Poland mainly due to suspected down syndrome, said one lawyer. This means that the law is working and has allowed specific people to be saved. Abortion is legal now only in cases of rape, incest, or threats to the mother's life. Pro-abortionists dismissed the decrease, saying that women obtain illegal abortions. But one lawyer said that even if illegal abortions continue to take place, Poland's new restriction on legal abortion will save lives. And now to our guest. Father Frank Pavone is one of the most prominent pro-life leaders in the world. Originally from New York, he was ordained in 1988 by Cardinal John O'Connor and has dedicated his entire life in ministry to ending abortion. In 1993, he requested and received permission to serve as the National Director of Priests for Life, the largest pro-life ministry in the Catholic Church. He is also the President of the National Pro-Life Religious Council and the National Pastoral Director of the Silent No More Awareness Campaign and of Rachel's Vineyard, the world's largest ministry of healing after abortion. He travels throughout the country to an average of four states every week, preaching and teaching for life. He broadcasts daily to hundreds of thousands of people on television, radio, and online programs. He was present at the bedside of Terry Schiavo as she was dying and was an outspoken advocate for her life. He received the proudly pro-life award by the National Right to Life Committee and numerous other pro-life awards and honorary doctorates. His work has been praised by presidents, popes, and countless citizens. He is the author of four books, Ending Abortion, Not Just Fighting It, Pro-Life Reflections for Every Day, Abolishing Abortion, and Proclaiming the Message of Life. Welcome, Father Frank Pavone. Well, hello,
1: Maria. It's great to be with you, and uh, thanks so much for having me today.
0: It's great to have you with us. Now, for those who are not familiar, why is there a need for an organization such as Priests for Life? Well, of course, uh, you know we know that priests are for life by definition, by our very
1: vocation and our mission. But I always tell people, well, we just help them to say so because so many are not proclaiming uh, the message of life when it comes to abortion as vigorously, consistently, and loudly as they should be, or as we need them to. People want to see priests in the forefront of this movement, not in order to do their work for them, but to lead and bless and encourage and unite them in that work. The church is is known uh, to have a, a very strong uh, and consistent position throughout history on abortion. I, I so often have uh, so many of my friends and colleagues who are in other denominations thank me for the steadfast uh, position of the Catholic Church against abortion. And uh, they often say to me, oh, yeah, we got into the game a little bit late. But uh, they too acknowledge across denominational lines that they want to see uh, priests in the forefront of this. And and if you look at the history of how abortion came to be in America, the abortion industry specifically, Doctor Bernard Nathanson, who was a key architect of it, had a specific strategy to keep uh, to try to divide Catholics, that is, the lay people from the hierarchy and to keep the clergy silent. He said they bargained on that, they took a risk, because they knew if the clergy had been vocal and strong, they would have never gotten away with launching the abortion industry. I came to know Dr. Nathanson personally, and he was such a strong supporter of Priests for Life for that very reason. He said the clergy and and the churches are what is standing in the way of the culture of death uh, from doing even more damage than it has already done. So that's, um, that's very much the idea uh, behind our ministry.
0: In your ministry, have you seen dramatic conversions on the issue of life?
1: Oh, very much so. Uh, both from your ordinary uh, citizens uh, to some very high profile people, uh, there have been dramatic conversions. I, uh, you know, Sometimes it's very, very simple. Uh, I remember, for example, uh, at one of the uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of churches that I've I've preached in on abortion, a woman coming up to me one time and saying, "Uh, you know, Father, I entered into this uh, mass today. I came here being 100% pro-abortion. And she says, and now I've changed 180 degrees, and it's simply because of what you said about the sea turtles. Because I point out in many of my homilies, that we have local, state, and federal laws protecting sea turtles and their eggs, and yet we don't protect these human babies. And that was enough to change this woman, like like she said, in the course of a minute, 180 degrees from completely pro-abortion to, to completely pro-life. Then, of course, there have been the more high-profile conversions, like that of Jane Roe herself, the, the, the Roe of Roe versus Wade, for whom I was a spiritual guide and a good friend. And uh, she uh, ended up rejecting the very decision that bore her name, and was a witness for life uh, for many years. Uh, So this was, uh, and everywhere in between, I've I've dealt with doctors, former abortionists, uh, advocates who who came to know uh, the truth that abortion is harmful, uh, and it's beautiful to see the work of God's grace in the lives of so many people.
0: And I imagine those uh, transformations of abortionists are are particularly heartwarming for you. Oh well, yes, you know, and they need help. You know, uh,
1: even for somebody to participate in a single abortion, maybe as a medical student or 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 as a as a full fledged physician it damages them so deeply. We don't even have an idea most of the time of the the depth of the damage. So they need our compassion, they need our help. And and, and part of what we do at Priests for Life is to help such people. Uh, In fact, we were in the forefront of doing this even before the now very well-known ministry that Abby Johnson has uh, came to be. And in fact, I helped her. Uh, come to healing after she worked in the abortion industry, and we work under the guidance of a psychiatrist, Dr. Philip May from Canada and uh, He has really uh blazed the trail of understanding what what makes a person get into the abortion business in the first place and what their path is coming out and It's amazing what what causes these conversions you know sometimes it's just God's unseen grace. Where literally, I've had some of these doctors say to me, uh, you know, I did thousands of abortions, and you know, they all look the same, and I would see the arms, they, the legs, the the faces of these babies I was killing, and then one day I'm staring down at the tray of body parts, and all of a sudden I see it in a new way, and I realize, wait a minute, this is a this is a baby, this is a person. And so it's like they're seeing the same thing, but there's a recognition that kicks in at some point. It's an identification. It's, a, it's a, the ability to say, this is one of us, one of us in the human family, and what am I doing killing this person? I can't be doing this. Uh, and other times it's more dramatic, like Dr. Tony Levitino, who adopted a young baby girl, and then, then she got killed when she was, um, oh, I think she was maybe eight or nine years old, and that loss of his own child uh, caused him to stop killing the children of other parents by abortion. So this story after story, all of them are very both heart-wrenching and heartwarming, and uh, again we embrace these people not with judgment or condemnation but with the the love and healing of Christ.
0: Over the years, how have you partnered with other groups and individuals to help women who are struggling from a past abortion? Well, uh, I, I,
1: first of all, let me thank the Pennsylvania uh, Pro-Life Federation you know, for all the work. Uh, we, we love Pennsylvania. I've been up and down and across Pennsylvania so many times over these years. And that's been one of the places uh, that's very special to us at Priest for Life in terms of what you just said, because our Silent No More campaign, which is a joint project of Priest for Life and Anglicans for Life, and reaches across the body of christ and across the nation and around the world is actually based in pennsylvania uh in swickley and uh we uh, have this beautiful uh ministry by which those that have found healing and uh want to share their testimonies of, of how abortion impacted them are able to do so whether it's at rallies or in articles or in radio and television or in churches or in legislative hearings. And uh, from the headquarters in Pennsylvania and from our headquarters uh, at Priest for Life in Florida, we are able to get this message out and offer the uh, testimonies of these, uh, not only moms, but dads and grandparents and siblings and and former abortionists, as we were saying before. We're able to offer their uh, services to Pro-life groups, large and small. I'll be coming, uh, for example, to the uh, Pennsylvania March for Life on September 19th, and and that'll be this will be one of the integral elements of that day's events. We will have a Silent No More uh, testimony, series of testimonies, uh, and this is how we're able to help groups to uh, show this part of the of the uh, pro-life message. We partner with a lot of the 40 Days for Life groups and when there are vigils in front of the abortion facilities, you know, we will often have the Silent No More uh, men and women standing there with their signs. Uh, The women have a sign that says, I regret my abortion. The men hold a sign that says, I regret lost fatherhood. And what this does is it draws people to those local groups and to the people working in those local communities, uh, so that uh, these people who see these signs, they want to learn more, they want to get the help they need, and many of them want to become pro-life activists after that.
0: How do men suffer as a result of abortion?
1: They suffer in a couple of different ways. Sometimes, uh, of course, the man uh, could be more guilty than than the woman in an abortion context, because he may be the one forcing it, he may be the one insisting on it. He may be the one making uh, that mom feel even more isolated and alone and desperate. Uh, and so they, just like the mom herself, will later come to realize the wrong that they have done and will need healing and accompaniment through that grief. Uh, sometimes it's the, uh, it's the other way around. Uh, the father actually uh, is the one trying to stop the abortion. But the law, as we know, at least up until now, Uh, although this can change now that Roe and Casey are out of the way. Uh, These men have no legal right at this point to um, stop the the killing of their own child. It doesn't make any sense, but uh, that's the reality they face. And very often they grieve because of that. And that's where that that sign I mentioned, you know, I regret lost fatherhood. Uh, A a man who has conceived a child, um, is the father of that child, wants to be able to protect and nurture and provide and these are this is part of the fabric of his very being and when that's robbed from him uh that's a very very uh devastating experience so some of them grieve in that way there's a third category those fathers who um didn't even know uh that their child's life was taken uh by abortion didn't even know it uh until they until it was too late uh and they found out to their great distress and anger Uh, that uh, their child was killed. So we've got to have compassion on these men. You know, it takes the men a little bit longer to come forward uh, and deal with this than it does the moms, Uh, but we need to be ready to uh, both invite and receive them to get the help they need.
0: Where were you and what was your reaction when you heard that Roe had been overturned? Well, actually, on that day, I was at the National Right to
1: Life Convention, which was previously scheduled, It was in atlanta and there were hundreds of pro-life activists and leaders gathered together already what a beautiful setting to be in of course for this news to come and i was in the midst of doing a live broadcast actually because we knew the court was issuing decisions and so janet morana our executive director was at our headquarters Uh, in Florida where we have our TV studio. I was hooked up remotely into the studio from the National Right to Life Convention. We were set up in the hallway and we had the cameras and the lights and the microphones. And we had the website of the Supreme Court opened up and checking out the decisions that started coming out at 10 o'clock, we saw the first one. And then the second one was the Dobbs case. So we clicked on the link right away, and I read on the very first page of the of the decision, the holding of the decision, which, of course, was that row was reversed. And I read it out loud uh, and in the hallway, and everyone started cheering and weeping and embracing each other. And it was such a beautiful thing. And then we just kept broadcasting because we had lined up some different uh, uh, pro-life leaders to come on in the event that that would be the day of Dobbs. What a beautiful experience, because you know, I, I thought right away, as did Janet, when we started talking about this on the, on the broadcast, I thought about all those people who have gone before us, have been called home by the Lord, but who worked, sacrificed, prayed, and looked forward to this day. People like Nellie Gray, the founder of the March for Life, and Joe Scheidler, and Dr. Jack Wilkie, and Barbara, um you think back even further Congressman Henry Hyde um and uh you know I think of Pennsylvania Governor Bob Casey uh he was a great pro-life man uh whom I was privileged to know and uh, you know we, we we talked about the day we looked forward to the day uh when uh when this would happen and of course uh the case that bears his name Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, which didn't go his his, his way, but which uh, which of course, as you know, did uphold um, uh, many of the provisions of that Pennsylvania uh, law at that time. Um, you know, I thought of him in a particular way, and so many other people. So I was grateful for the the trailblazers uh, that have gone before us, and uh, and grateful to uh, just to be part of the effort of uh, reaching this goal, and now, of course, building on it for the future.
0: What do you think is the biggest challenge for the pro-life movement post-ROW?
1: Well, one of the biggest challenges is going to be uh, just uh, helping people to frame the message and get the, the, the truth out there. We saw this challenge unfold just recently in Kansas, where, you know, the people, um, I think, were largely deceived by the other side. The other side is very good at lying. Uh, If they weren't, we wouldn't have had Roe v. Wade in the first place. Um, The challenge is always, how do we get the message out? We know we have the right message. We know we have the truth on our side. We have got the facts. It's a very persuasive case that we all make uh, for life in the pro-life movement. But getting it out there and and, and being able to reach more people more effectively than the other side, uh, this is now more of an important challenge than ever. And the reason is that for people to be convinced of our case for life now makes even more of a difference than it did before, because to the extent we can persuade our fellow citizens that the unborn need to be protected, then to that extent we can persuade them to vote for pro-life candidates and the more pro-life lawmakers we put in place the more pro-life measures we can put into our public policy and now with roe and casey out of the way those laws can actually take effect without being practically automatically struck down by the courts so our challenge now is you know, we've been given a level playing field, if you will. You know, we've always had to make our case on the merits and, we've, and we have done so. The other side who are in support of abortion, they have not had to make their case on the merits. They instead have hid behind the robes of the justices. They said, oh, abortion's a constitutional right. And, and just by saying that, they felt like, well, they didn't have to make any arguments and that's good for them because they don't have any to make anyway so so but now they can't hide behind the the courts anymore they can't hide behind the justices it's no longer a a constitutional right on the federal level and so now they've got to make the case why is it a good idea to kill these babies and um and we're at a big advantage there but if the playing field has been leveled their advantage has been taken away so now the challenge is let's keep motivating people to get out there make the, the persuasive case and reach more people more effectively than the other side does.
0: Why is it important for people of faith to become involved in the pro-life cause? Well, because people of faith are
1: dominant in America. If this still is a country of faith. You know, most people uh, are are believers and uh, worship God and pray and and, and 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 read the scriptures and and you know, Amer- religion has shaped America and America's public policy from the very beginning. And our government is structured in such a way as, as to allow religion to have a very strong influence. The recent Supreme Court decisions, in fact, have, have given even greater weight to religious freedom. We're not only winning in the abortion arena, uh, we're winning in the arena of religious freedom. Uh, and so for people of faith, uh, opportunities are better than they, they've ever been to step up and to make the case in the public arena now we know that the arguments for the lives of the unborn are based in human reason alone they're based in science they're based in logic uh, you know it's not simply a religious uh reasons why we say abortion is wrong however the religious reasons clarify deepen and strengthen all those arguments that come from reason and they motivate people it's one thing to say well i know from science the baby is a baby okay but where are you going to get the grace and the strength to endure the ridicule to make the sacrifices uh to to persevere through the obstacles that you need to persevere through in order to actually turn this thing around for most people involved in the pro-life movement the overwhelming majority that strength, that perseverance, that grace to be able to sacrifice comes precisely from their faith. And this is why people of faith uh, need, to, need to, to be tuned into this cause. Uh, President Trump said it recently at a, uh, a rally I was with him for. Uh, he said, look, he said, people of faith built this nation. People of faith got us out of the nightmare of slavery. People of faith fought against uh, the the evil of segregation. And he said, and now people of faith are advancing the cause of pro-life. People of faith, he said, will save this nation. He said it very well, it's very true, People of faith are mobilized through the churches. We've already got a meeting place, if you will. If you think about it, the people of faith in America, they've got places where they gather, and we know where those places are. It's a beautiful structure of communication. It's a societal force, unlike anything else. Uh, And so if we take the structures that exist in the church, we know that if we use them, we can change this uh, culture of death into a culture of life.
0: With just about a minute left, as we approach the midterm elections, what is your message for voters?
1: get out there and vote uh, we're going to be doing a, a, a special work in Pennsylvania uh, as our listeners know Pennsylvania is always a critical state in our elections is an important Senate, Senate election this year a U.S. Senate election we've got to get the Senate back into pro-life hands you've got an important governor's race uh, that we'll also be involved in uh, my, the message to voters is we are on the winning side let's keep the momentum going and let's save America you can do it. So let's do it together.
0: Thank you so much, Father Frank Pavone from Priests for Life.
1: You're welcome.
0: Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State with more than 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals, from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. To learn more about the inspiring work of the Federation, please visit our website at paprolife.org. You can also find us on all major social media. Just look for PA Pro Life. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.